Animals Today Radio is made possible in part by a generous grant from International Society for Animal Rights, isaronline.org. Welcome to Animals Today, your home for serious talk about animals. I'm Dr. Lori Kirshner. We have a great show lined up for you today. And let me ask you this. What do you think of making convicted animal abusers register with the government in order to monitor them? Well, this is an idea that is really beginning to gain momentum. And later in the hour, we'll be speaking with legal expert Bob Ferber to see what he thinks about animal abuse registries. And also, how much do you know about bats? Are you afraid of bats or do you think they're kind of cute? Peter's going to be speaking with bat expert Merlin Tuttle about these mysterious creatures. And then, is it okay to give pot, marijuana, to pets? And did you know October is Adopt-A-Shelter Dog Month? But first, the big story of the week, regrettably, is the Florida bear hunt or the free-for-all bear slaughter. And boy, are people across the country and the world angry about this. This comes following approval by the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission to permit the killing of 320 bears across the state where bear hunting has not been allowed since 1994. I want to welcome bear activist Tom Mooney with Stop the Florida Bear Hunt, an organization which has and continues to oppose bear hunting in Florida. Welcome to the program, Tom. Thanks, Dr. Larry. I read some of the descriptions of people blasting away at bears who are not at all fearful of the hunters. And it really is so sad and infuriating. Tell us what led to this state-approved hunt. Why was it decided this summer that this would be a good idea? From where we are here in Collier County and the other activists that we have throughout the state, I want to mention a couple of guys that have been really there for this whole process, which is Adam Sogalski and Hank Morales. Um, both these guys have done all that they can along with me to um, try and prevent this from happening. The Florida Wildlife Conservation Commission at some point decided that um, 3,000 bears in the state of Florida was too many. Um, I was interviewed and then on TV several times down here in Collier County, Florida. Um, we were across the newspaper, across the state, asking the governor and Florida Wildlife Control to stop the hunt. Um, we got no direct comments back from them, only that uh, Florida Wildlife Control was given the authority through the governor of our state um, to make the decisions to have a hunt in the state of Florida and slaughter 320 bears in three different districts throughout the state. And one of them happens to be my backyard, the Picayune Strand State Forest, uh, where I've spent about 10 years photographing and uh, watching the bears here in South Florida. That is so sad, Tom. Tell us about the history of bears and their populations in Florida. They've been endangered, right? Correct. Bears in Florida have been protected for 20 to 25 years. Uh, there have been uh, preservation. We've paid uh, taxes to preserve them and protect them. And all of a sudden, um, a Mr. Wiley that runs the Florida Wildlife Commission decides that uh, the 3,000 bears was too many. Here in Collier County, we have a forest, Picayune Strand, where Army Corps of Engineers has come in and, and bulldozed 167,500 acres of the bear's habitat, mm. which is where the hunt took place, Picayune Strand State Forest. They've literally destroyed their forest, filled in the canals. There was no water there, and the bears started to come into rural neighborhoods. Um, we have a neighborhood called Golden Gate Estates, which is really a, a thickly dense um, forest area where the bears have come in and, and started to eat dog food and cat food and the, the waste management trash that gets put out the night before. Um, these are things that, that are all supposed to be under Florida Wildlife Commission's uh, authority to issue actual citations 
um, for people who put trash out. We don't have trash um, wildlife um, safe containers. Those are things that are readily available. Um, nowhere in the state could we find a citation that Florida Wildlife had issued for anyone that basically it's 100% uh, human error in our fault that people are putting their trash out the night before and bears are coming in and eating. Right. Obviously, right. we've taken their food away. Right. This, is, this all could have been prevented. I, I know, Tom, I, I'm with you here. Were adequate studies performed in determining that this hunt was required? Studies. Mr. Wiley's study was um, he guessed that there's 3,000 bears in the state of Florida. Right. That was his answer. There's no evidence. Right. No documentation. There's there's no tracking devices like we have on our panther population here that Florida Wildlife Control can watch on a screen. Um, none of that energy was put into to protecting and saving the bears, as our conservation commission puts it. And was anyone was anyone allowed to just go out and shoot a bear? Anybody was allowed in from anywhere around the world, the country, to come into the state of Florida, buy a license for a hundred dollars, go out, take your son, invite company for the weekend, and go out on a trophy hunt in the state of Florida. Um, I mean, there, there's other things. I mean, baiting of deer and turkey and and wild boars is allowed here. Um, particularly on private land. Um, that doesn't alleviate the bears that can travel for miles to these feeders. Right. They're, they're corn-fed. The bears are vegetarians. Um, they were lured into a slaughter, um, you know, on private land. It's simply they'd come in, they'd, they'd be eating, and these bears were shot. Right, and, ha- and we don't even know, we don't even know, Tom, if these were clean shots that just killed them. I mean, many of them could have just injured the bear, and now the bear has to suffer for the rest of its life. Absolutely. Um, we did some tallies from the um, check-in stations, and the rules and regulations of this hunt um, was, was that there is no baiting of bears and that they may not be shot or killed less than 100 yards from a baiting station. And, you know, for the hunters, that was a non-issue. The bears that were brought in were lactating mothers, um, we can only imagine that the bears that weren't checked in by hunters, um, simply because the rules and regulations weren't followed. Um, so there's a percentage of bears that were killed. There was 320 bears that were supposed to be killed. We have 3000 that were guessed, estimated by Mr. Wiley, the head of Florida wildlife control. We had a two day hunt, which was supposed to be five days, um, so we have cubs that are out there that'll die, um, probably 10%. You also have the average of two cubs per per mother that's lactating, which will die of starvation. Right. Um, so if we, if we do the math, they, they killed 320 bears. Another 100 will die from starvation. Another 100 will die that were wounded, gut shot, and, and survived, and then later right. are dying out in the forest now. Um if we put the numbers in favor of the hunters, 25%, that adds 285 more bears. Um, if we look at the registered amount of bears that are killed from road kills every year well, in and the state you, of Florida. Right, exactly. And you, and you mentioned the orphan cubs. I mean, there's no plan in place to help them. And also, um, we don't know how many bears were killed and not counted or, or injured, but not killed outright. So this 320 is really, is really just a guess. No, it's, it, it's a guess. I mean, by, by doing the math that we've done and, you know, stop the hunt, the Florida bear hunt.com, it's, you're looking at 1100 bears. So how is this responsible conservation, Tom? And I use this term with great skepticism. It's not, it's a, a decision that was made by the governor. It was um, an inept commission, a group of <clears throat> elitists who were on board that had a hunting party. Yeah. They invited friends for the weekend, and the primary reason for the hunt was was really a tremendous increase in human and bear encounters. That's what it was. And, and the, the citizens of the state were strongly against this, weren't they? We, we had documents of 100,000 people, um, emails from all over the world came into us 
asking that the hunt be stopped. Um, I had put up 250000 in advertising costs to try and get the bear hunt to stop here with an advertising platform that I have. Um, the governor didn't return calls. He didn't comment. Uh, he simply put it off on Florida Wildlife Control and that they know what they're doing. Um, there was actually a comment from one of the um, officials of Florida Wildlife, which was that um, they're trained in uh, the animal uh, conservation and the regulations of how to handle things like this. Tom, what can my listeners do to prevent this from happening again? Please go on and visit us online at Stop. FloridaBearHunt.com. Um, everything that we're trying to do is on the website. They can contact myself or Adam. Um, our numbers are on the website. Uh, we're, we're trying to get to the governor. The governor had the authority to stop this. It didn't have to take place. We mentioned all of these things prior to the hunt that people were going to shoot lactating moms, the cubs were going to be orphaned, they were going to starve to death, that there'd be bear encounters with humans and currently, to date, there's been none in the state of Florida. Only encounters with dogs. Zero encounters with human beings as far as aggression. It was so... Now, un- yeah. it was actually an encounter with a wounded bear with humans after the hunt. And these are all things that we, we made clear to the, the officials in the state of Florida. Don't do this. What if we write nasty letters to the governor? Please do. Great. I mean, my thoughts on, on the governor is... Shame on you. Absolutely. He, he, has, he has shamed the state of Florida. I totally agree. Tom Mooney, thank you very much. Thank you, Dr. Lord. So you and your family have decided to get a dog or cat. We think that's great. And we want to remind you to adopt your next companion animal instead of buying. That's because shelters have so many loving dogs and cats waiting for a home that it just doesn't make sense to buy a pet from a breeder or pet store. And sadly, over half of all animals that enter shelters are killed. That's millions per year. So when you adopt your pet from a shelter, most likely, you really are saving a life. When you go to a shelter to adopt your new dog or cat, you will find many wonderful choices for your new family member. And please tell your friends and family to visit the shelter when they are ready to get a new dog or cat. Ask anyone. When you adopt an animal, you'll have a loyal friend for life. And you'll feel pretty good, too. This message is presented by Advancing the Interests of Animals. Visit them at AIAnimals.org and on Facebook. That's AIAnimals.org. Hey folks, it's Danny here. I want to talk to you a little bit about our power grid. Now, it's no secret that the administration has literally declared war on the coal industry. And the result is that the cost of electricity is skyrocketing right past the record rates we already have. Now, ultimately, I believe these policies are going to create real shortages of electricity. It's like Obamacare, but with the power grid. And it gets worse. Experts say that our power grid continues to remain unprotected and vulnerable, which is why I want all of my listeners to be able to produce their own supply of electricity. Listen, I believe that it's time to prepare. You should always prepare and be prepared, especially with any coming problems concerning the power grid. So do what I did. Get a solar generator from Solutions from Science. They run quietly, emit no fumes, and produce an endless supply of electricity from the sun. Go to DanaSolarBackup.com to learn more. That's DanaSolarBackup.com. Use coupon code Dana to get a special half-price offer. DanaSolarBackup.com. Do you owe the IRS money? Do you have years of unfiled returns? Has the IRS garnished your wages or put a lien against your house? The IRS has the power to make you pay back what they claim you owe and will stop at nothing to collect. If you are losing sleep over your IRS tax problem, there is a solution. Call Signature Tax now. Speak with our professionals and feel the weight of your tax burden lifted from your shoulders. Call 800-859-9446 for your free and confidential analysis on ending your tax nightmare. We can help get your life back on track and give you the fresh start you deserve. Our A-plus BBB-rated tax resolution team has over 125 years of combined experience to get you the best deal possible while stopping the IRS dead in their tracks. Call Signature Tax now at 800-859-9446. 
Call 800-859-9446. Again, that's 800-859-9446. 800-859-9446. So Massachusetts and a number of other states are now considering registries for animal abusers, modeling them after sex offender registries. Do you think these are a good idea? Will they stop animal abuse? The first statewide registry will take effect in Tennessee on January 1, 2016, and we will, we will be very interested in seeing what happens there. Bob Ferber, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much, Lori. Bob, what are the goals of these registries? Uh, well, the original goal of these the sex offender registries was a tool for law enforcement to help them if there was a, a, a violent, like a rape or a, a sexual attack against somebody or a child molester, they would have a tool to be able to look back at people that have already been convicted and invest, use them and investigate them, talk to them. So it was a pool of people that might be suspects. Uh, as a re- but the, 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 the uh, function of it expanded when Megan's Law in California, which is rather famous law about a child uh, molester and killer, uh, it, it became available. People wanted to make this information available to the public. And so now this registry, and I believe it's true in a lot of other states, you can find out who has been registered as a sex offender and who lives in your neighborhood. So I think the goal is twofold. It was originally law enforcement, and then it got expanded to let people know that, you know, be cautious, somebody down the street is a convicted sex offender, watch your children if they walk into school or something to that effect. Hey, Bob, it's Peter. How you doing? Good, Peter. So uh, is the analogy with these registries for animal abusers to the sex offender registries, is that appropriate? Is this an extension of that thinking? I, I think it's applicable, Peter, to uh, animal abusers and in two ways. Number one, law enforcement can use a list of animal abusers to be able to investigate other cases of animal cruelty. I have one right now where they're trying to find out somebody who, whoever mutilated some dogs and cats in a neighborhood. So they, it would be helpful if we had a registry to, so police could go back and look as, has anybody in the neighborhood already been convicted of that? But I think the way sex re- offender registries help the neighbors to know who's next door, I think with animal abusers, the key way it can help is to prevent people from getting more animals. And this means that these registries or this information needs to be available to shelters, to rescue groups, um, to uh, maybe even pet stores, although I'm not personally in favor of stores that sell animals, but if they do, maybe at least they should have access to make sure that they're not selling it to somebody who's been convicted of animal cruelty. And, And breeders as well, Bob? Well, you know, you, I think we all three agree that, you know, we, we have some issues with breeders. Right, absolutely. But my feeling is no matter who it is, if you're transferring an animal to someone else, right. it would be helpful if you, whoever you are, whether you're a breeder, you're a hardcore rescuer, you're a shelter worker, to be able to know that whoever's taking the animal, at the very least, is not convicted of animal cruelty. Bob, what are problems, potential problems, do you see when this sort of legislation goes into effect? Well, we can anticipate problems like we did with the sex offenders laws. The sex offender registry, the problem with it is that the laws in most states, you can violate the laws of sex offenses in many ways. You can be a, a violent rapist. You can be a, a, a child kidnapper. But also... You have people who are, you know, the old term was called flashers, you know, the old guy that's in a trench coat that's not wearing anything that just goes around showing himself. Studies have shown that those people are not predators. They're not going to, they don't, they're not, it's not likely that they're going to go out and because of their, uh, a, a flasher that they're going to go and 
you know, uh, commit an offense against another person in a violent way. But those people do get into the registry. So if you have a registry of sex offenders that includes all different kinds of behavior, including behavior that is not really dangerous to the public, uh, then you've, you've ruined the purpose of the registry. My fear with animal cruelty is that animal cruelty laws also include things where people have done something that was, yes, it was a crime, but it's not something where they're a danger to the public. They may have, we, we have a lot of cases of animal neglect where people are guilty of the crime, but they did it because they couldn't take care of their animal because of money, because of a personal situation, because of something where they delegated it to someone else, something where they, they should be held accountable, but are they a danger to somebody else? Are they somebody that all rescue groups need to know about because of maybe an isolated, uh, excuse me, an isolated incident. So we have to worry about if there's a registry, how do you define who's in that registry of animal abusers and who isn't? And right now, you know, the same with the sex offender registries. It's not really, there's lawyers and legislators haven't come up with a good way to just keep these registries to the people that we really want to know about. So I think that's what we have to figure out. No one has. Uh, and another problem, by the way, with these registries is that for privacy reasons, you can find out, for example, if there's a sex offender down the street from you in California, but you can't find out what they did. You can't find out if they were a rapist, if they were a, a flasher. Same thing with if you have somebody down the street that's an animal abuser, wouldn't you want to know, was it dog fighting? Was it beating an animal, poisoning an animal, or was it something where they didn't give their dog enough food because they were having money problems and the dog, or they didn't have the medication for an animal? Yes, I'd want to know, but either way, I wouldn't want that person living next door to me. Well, I, <laughs> and, you know, and that's a fair statement, uh, but you can see how it... Uh, it dilutes the, uh, yeah. the, the the effectiveness of it for law enforcement, and I agree with you. know, there's an argument to be made, Laurie, that the person who neglected a dog, I might want them down the street from me because maybe I could, you know, make sure check on them. Maybe they're not a physical danger to me. I, I've I've certainly educated a number of people in my life who have been neighbors and friends who weren't doing what I thought was the appropriate thing for an animal. And they're like, oh, thanks, Bob. Well, so, well I, I see your point, Lori, and I probably agree with you that I don't want any animal abusers in my neighborhood. Uh, you know, do I, I've had numerous people as a prosecutor who were convicted of animal abuse, but everybody agreed that this shouldn't get in the way of them being able to adopt another animal in the future because, let's say, they took a course or they took a, a class in better animal care or they made better arrangements to make sure that when they're taking care of their sick mother that there's somebody to care for their animal. Well, we sure, so, didn't, hesi we sure didn't hesitate to allow Michael Vick adopt another animal. I know. And that's a really good, you know, and that involves other legislation that we've talked about on your show about if you're convicted of animal abuse, should you be allowed to adopt another animal? And uh, I think in a good way, states around the country are starting to include it in their animal cruelty laws that you can't have another animal if you've been uh, convicted of certain types of animal abuse. In California and many other states, we have laws now that are starting to prohibit people from having an animal after they've been convicted of animal abuse, especially serious cases of animal abuse. I'm very much in favor of that. But without a sex, I mean, oh, sorry, an animal abuse registry, how are people going to know? So right now in California, you can be convicted of felony animal abuse. And you can go into your local, that per same person can go into most local government shelters and rescue groups and get another animal because none of those people can find out about mm -hmm. it. And that is probably the, the most important part of these new animal abuse registries is that when people are uh, ordered by a judge to not have an animal, there literally is no system for enforcing that. These registries are the beginning of that. And in spite of all the 
issues and complications that I've talked about, I think overall it's an it's a very critical thing that we have to do to protect animals. Bob, we get the feeling around here also that people are ready for these and we're looking forward to seeing how it plays out in Tennessee. We'll speak with you further about it once it gets going. I think so. And, and I think that we, we all can acknowledge that Tennessee is not... No offense to people who live in Tennessee, but it's not a state that has been known to be a leader in animal rights and animal welfare. And I think it's very interesting and admirable that we're seeing states like this who are saying we're sick of it. Thanks. And so I think that it's a really good sign for animals around the world. We agree. Thanks so much, Bob. You're welcome. There is no getting around it. The great outdoors isn't so great for your cat. From speeding cars to toxic lawn chemicals, coyotes to cruel humans, cats are no match to the dangers of today's world. The good news is animal behavior experts say cats don't need to go outside to be happy. Your family will be happier and healthier, too, without the ticks, fleas, diseases, and the dead critters the outdoor cats bring their owners. And you will never have to explain to a crying child who or what hurt her pet or why he hasn't come home. Cats can enjoy a happy and safe life indoors. The key is to provide attention, exercise, and a stimulating environment. Play with your cat. It's fun for both of you. You can hide toys around the house, too. Just make sure there can be no detachable parts that can be swallowed. You can protect your cat from becoming a tragic statistic. Tomorrow may be too late. This message is brought to you by Advancing the Interests of Animals. Visit them at www.aianimals.org. That's aianimals.org. Dana Lash here. Our freedom and independence is not free. Veterans and their families pay the price for your freedom and for mine. Veterans' families are many times unprepared to deal with what our warriors bring home. The pain, the nightmares, feelings of detachment, irritability, trouble concentrating, and sleeplessness. These are some of the symptoms of post-traumatic stress. The Purple Heart Foundation would like to offer all of you out there, all of my listeners, the book Tears of a Warrior, a family story of combat by Janet and Anthony Seahorn as a free gift. Tears of a Warrior was written to educate families families and veterans about the symptoms of PTS and to offer strategies for living with the disorder. The book is free to anyone who would like a copy. All you pay is shipping. Go to purpleheartfoundation.org. That's purpleheartfoundation.org or call 800-935-9941. That's 800-935-9941. Order the free book or give a donation in honor of a veteran you know. You can donate a car or cash. All donations go directly to help veterans nationwide. 800-935-9941 or purpleheartfoundation.org. I'm Bob DeRigo Jones, and this is Let's Be Fair. As we all marvel at the amazing pictures that a tiny spacecraft has sent to us from the farthest reaches of our solar system, it's a good time to think about all the ways we've benefited from space exploration, and might still in the future. Modern conveniences like cell phone cameras, scratch-resistant lenses for sunglasses, and water purification systems were all originally developed by NASA. Because of all the brilliant minds working there, it often seems like the only limit on what we can create is our own imagination. Unfortunately, one of the barriers to innovation is entirely man-made and unique to America, legal fear. Currently, a device invented by a former NASA engineer that could save lives by making it impossible to text, talk, or email on a cell phone while driving is being kept off the market, in large part because of fears about lawsuits. Let's be fair, there are actually many products that haven't made it to market because of concerns about the excessive litigation in America, and you would be amazed at what they can do. Learn more. Visit our website at centerforamerica.org. Do you hear that ringing? I've heard that ringing in my ears for over 20 years. My doctor said... The ringing and buzzing in your ears is called tinnitus, and you're just going to have to learn to live with it. The constant ringing in my ears is annoying. I've tried everything, and nothing worked. So I invested my own money, met with doctors, specialists, and certified labs. After a decade of research, we've developed Tinoxyl, a prescription-free, 100% natural and effective way to stop the ringing. And better yet, it helps me sleep. Trying to sleep with ringing in my ears is almost impossible. But with Tinoxyl, I started sleeping better in the first couple weeks. I'm so confident that Tinoxyl will help you too that I'm giving the first 100 callers a free 30-day supply. Don't let the ringing in your ears control your life. Call now and get your free 30-day supply. Just pay shipping. Take back control of your life. Combat the ringing and start sleeping again. Try it for free. Call 800-930-1669. That's 800-930-1669. 800-930-1669.
Welcome back to Animals Today. Make sure to visit us at animalstodayradio.com. You know, a few weeks ago, we were talking a little bit about bats, and I mentioned that we had found a small dead bat in our backyard, and uh, we, in fact, talked about bats and rabies risk with a veterinarian, Dr. Robert Reed, and even after that segment, I'm thinking, you know, I don't know anything really about bats. Uh, We've talked about them in the context of the wind farms and how they're getting killed there, and then this little segment with Dr. Reed, but really, you know, I should know a little bit more about bats. And then, coincidentally, we get delivered a brand new, very colorful, nice book about bats. And I'm paging through it, and I'm like, hey, here's our opportunity. So now I want to welcome Merlin Tuttle. He's the author of a wonderful new book, The Secret Lives of Bats. Welcome, Merlin. I'm glad to be here. Merlin, what strikes me as I'm paging through your uh, wonderful book is the the variety of, of bats around the world. It's really, people don't know how many different sorts of bats there are. And you're not even hardly seeing 1% of them when you look at my book. It's an absolutely unbelievable. There are giants with nearly six-foot wingspans. There are tiny little guys that weigh a third less than a U.S. penny. There are snow white ones, jet black ones, ones that are snow white with black spots, black ones with white spots. There are red ones, there are orange ones, there are almost any color you can think of, ones with brilliant yellow wings like on the cover of my book. Uh, the painted bats of Southeast Asia, they're just as brightly colored as any butterfly. The subtitle is My Adventures with the World's Most Misunderstood Mammals. Uh, what are the main misunderstandings or misconceptions about bats? Well, unfortunately, there are too many people that profit by our fear of bats, and they keep telling us that bats could give us all kinds of dread diseases, when in fact the track record of bats in reality is one of the finest on our planet when it comes to living safely with people. I've worked with bats for 55 years on every continent where they occur. I've personally handled, photographed, studied hundreds of species, often surrounded by literally millions at a time in their caves. I've never been attacked by a bat. I've never contracted disease from a bat. And in fact, for any human who simply uses common sense and doesn't, you know, if you find a bat that's out in the open in the daytime where you can pick it up, it's probably sick, and that's a good one to leave alone. Yeah. And But just if people just don't pick up and try to handle bats, there's so little danger that it's incalculably small, too, cal- too small to even calculate. But you mentioned there are industry forces that, that promote this image. These are exterminators? These are people who want to rid the world of bats? like us to fear bats. Some of those have to do with selling very expensive vaccines. Some have to do with pest controls. Some Mm. have the most guilty ones lately appear to be virologists that uh, want to study rare diseases, diseases that are so rare that we're only just now discovering them, but they call them emerging diseases to make them sound a little more scary, and then they connect them up with bats, and by that time, you've got something you really scare somebody with because they don't know either about these rare diseases or about bats. And it's good for getting grants and headline yeah. media stories. Yeah. Now, I know we're speaking to you in Austin, and Austin has a lot of history related to bats. Tell us about that. Well, Austin's kind of a typical story for me. Uh, when the bats first started moving into our downtown bridge, hundreds of thousands of them, that's not so typical, but uh, when they started moving in, uh, health officials reported that they were largely rabid and going to attack people. People of Austin panicked, made national headlines, international headlines that hundreds of thousands of rabid bats were invading and attacking the citizens of Austin. 
and yet all we had to do was caution people not to pick up bats that were out in the open leave them alone and 35 years later we're still waiting for the first person to be attacked or in any way harmed by a bat no one's contracted disease from a bat we now simply understand that they're eating 15 tons of crop and yard pests on average night and bringing in 12 million tourist dollars every summer from the millions of people that come to observe them close up so it's a bat destination yeah and you know i've i've been at the world's most important places where large colonies of bats remain in close association with people and i've yet to find a single instance where anybody can prove that a single uh you know outbreak of disease was caused by a bat yeah merlin you've got a lot of beautiful color pictures how do you take good pictures of bats well it's uh not easy there are probably a lot of people that can take good pictures but not too many that understand bats and can take good pictures uh many of the bats that i have photographed i've actually sometimes even trained them in the wild without ever capturing them so that they would uh, come or go certain places on cue and um, i've trained many bats so that in in i could bring them into a studio and not not try to get them to do something unnatural but uh, try to get them to go where i want them to go when i want them to go there and uh, you know a, a normal bat that isn't feeling threatened is just as cute as any chipmunk or hamster uh the bats that people traditionally saw were bats that somebody captured yeah held upside down for a picture and the poor little thing thought he was about to be eaten and uh snarled big and this little guy with a head the size of your end of your thumb gets blown up to page size looking like a saber-toothed tiger it's no wonder people were afraid of bats yeah there is a definite cuteness that you uh, that you see as you're paging through through your pictures. It's really remarkable. Well, for anybody who wants to really see a lot of bats as they are, uh, just go to my website at merlintuttle.com, yep. and you can see hundreds of pictures of bats from all over the world doing almost everything a bat does. Merlin, what threats do bats face? They face all kinds of threats. Like, you know, all animals face the problem of losing habitat. But bats, as we've demonstrated here in Austin, often live uh, more harmoniously with people in disrupted habitat than almost anything else. Uh, In my experience, the single biggest threat to bats is irrational fear. Mm. Sure. You could die of a disease from a bat, but the odds are a whole lot better that you'll die from being hit by a falling spacecraft. Yeah, gotcha. And quite aside from from fear is the neglect that comes when people don't understand a group of animals, and uh, so they don't get promoted. You know, bats can be just as cute and winsome as any panda or uh any other cute animal on the planet and anybody that goes to my website will be able to see that easily or you can see it from my book and um, so it's just a matter of what we don't see very well we fear bats that have five and nearly six foot wingspans and live out in the open are eulogized as folk heroes Whereas in parts of the world where they're all small and live in hard-to-see places, people feel them simply because they don't understand them. Yeah. Merlin, it's just around Halloween time, so I just wanted to ask you about the vampire bat. Uh, Where are they? Vampire bats live only in Latin America. There are three species of them. Only one species actually ever harms people or their livestock. And even that one species may someday save your life. It's been discovered in recent years that its saliva contains a virtual treasure trove of useful molecules that may 
help save human lives one day. Very interesting. Well, the book is The Secret Lives of Bats, My Adventures with the World's Most Misunderstood Animals. And not only are you describing all the variety of bats and what they do, we get to learn about your life, which you've dedicated to protecting and educating about these fascinating animals. Well, I've done my best to weave the information inconspicuously into some really nice, adventure stories that will keep the reader moving, but uh, hopefully assimilate a lot of new awareness of the reality of the world of bats while learning from my experience. Oh, you've sure done that for us. Thank you very much for joining us on Animals Today. Thank you very much for having me. Every day in the United States, 70,000 puppies and kittens are born. Unfortunately, there are not enough homes for all these cats and dogs. As a result, they end up being neglected, abandoned, or euthanized in shelters. In fact, millions of healthy, loving, and adoptable pets are killed in our shelters every year. On average, more than half of animals that enter shelters get euthanized. However, there is good news and two powerful ways you can help this problem. First, make sure to have your dogs and cats fixed even before they have one litter. That is a good way to reduce overpopulation. And second, when you want a new pet, make sure to adopt him from a shelter instead of buying him from a pet store or a breeder. When you adopt, you really save a life, and that makes everybody very happy. This message is presented by Advancing the Interests of Animals. Visit them at AIanimals.org. That's AIanimals.org. This is Dr. Lori Kirshner, and I want to thank you for joining us on Animals Today. Each week, we explore the wide variety of new and important issues concerning the welfare and rights of animals, how people treat them, and where they fit in society. From whale protectors risking their own lives on the open seas to lawmakers fighting to pass legislation to assist animals to kids volunteering at their local shelter, Animals Today provides timely and in-depth analysis and interviews with experts and advocates from around the world. To listen, join us every week on this station, listen on iTunes, or go to animalstodayradio.com, where you can access and listen to all the prior shows. And like us on Facebook and share your views. Much of our financial support comes from the nonprofit group Advancing the Interests of Animals. That's AIanimals.org. So check them out. This is Dr. Lori, and thanks for listening. Hey folks, it's Dana here. I want to talk to you a little bit about our power grid. Now, it's no secret that the administration has literally declared war on the coal industry. And the result is that the cost of electricity is skyrocketing right past the record rates we already have. Now, ultimately, I believe these policies are going to create real shortages of electricity. It's like Obamacare, but with the power grid. And it gets worse. Experts say that our power grid continues to remain unprotected and vulnerable, which is why I want all of my listeners to to be able to produce their own supply of electricity. Listen, I believe that it's time to prepare. You should always prepare and be prepared, especially with any coming problems concerning the power grid. So do what I did. Get a solar generator from Solutions from Science. They run quietly, emit no fumes, and produce an endless supply of electricity from the sun. Go to DanaSolarBackup.com to learn more. That's DanaSolarBackup.com. Use coupon code Dana to get a special half-price offer. DanaSolarBackup.com. I'm Bob DeRigo Jones, and this is Let's Be Fair. For millions of baseball fans who attend big league games each year, the possibility of catching a foul ball is one of the attractions of the game. According to one study, as many as 53,000 foul balls are caught by happy fans each year. However, if lawyers who just filed a class action lawsuit against Major League Baseball have their way, a lot fewer fans will be leaving games with a souvenir ball. Under the lawsuit, all ballparks, including the historic Wrigley Field in Chicago and Fenway Park in Boston, would be required to extend protective netting from behind home plate all the way to the foul poles in left and right field. The lawyers argue that warnings about foul balls printed on tickets, posted around the ballparks, and mentioned over the PA system are not enough. Let's be fair, serious injuries do happen, and baseballs have been flying into the stands for decades, even before Babe Ruth was playing. But do we really want a policy like this that affects millions of baseball fans to be decided by one lawsuit? Learn more. Visit our website at centerforamerica.org. Not available in California, Louisiana, and Virginia.
Listeners, do you have startup capital and want to invest in a booming business with incredible profit and growth potential? The opportunity is now because Fresh Healthy Vending, the number one healthy vending franchise in North America, is looking for a few business-savvy, healthy-minded people right here in the local area to become Fresh Healthy Vending franchise owners. We're growing so fast that we've had hundreds of new franchise owners in the last few years alone. Now you can join them. This area has a huge demand for Fresh Healthy organic snacks on the go, and that's exactly what you'll be selling with your Fresh Healthy Vending machine. We've already identified prime high-traffic locations that are perfect for healthy vending machines. Now we just need the right people to join our franchise network and help Fresh Healthy Vending continue to boom. If this sounds like you, go to readyforfresh.com today and enter code 1414. We'll send you a free owner information kit. As an added bonus to new franchise owners, we'll also pay half the franchise fees. Hurry, this offer is limited. Just go to readyforfresh.com and enter code 1414. That's readyforfresh.com, code 1414. Welcome back to Animals Today. You know, a few months ago, we received a pet product sample manufactured from hemp. And although we did not give it to anyone to try, it was supposed to be non-psychoactive, having only trace amounts of THC, but providing cannabinoids, terpenes, and flavonoids, which supposedly have some health benefits. Truly, we were pretty skeptical. So we wanted to find out if there are any possible health benefits for dogs and cats from hemp. But there's possibly a more pressing concern in this area, and that is the accidental ingestion of medical marijuana and THC products by dogs. Welcome, Robert Reed, Medical Director, VCA Rancho Mirage. Hey, Robert. Hi, Lori. Nice to be back. Thanks. Let's start with ingestion of marijuana and related THC-containing products. There's more of it around with medical marijuana and legalized marijuana in some states like Washington, Colorado. We are seeing more cases of marijuana toxicity, or I should say intoxication, in dogs, aren't we? Oh, definitely, yes. It's become a, a much bigger concern. Are these cases mostly unintentional, and how do they usually occur? I think they are usually unintentional. The, you know, there are a wider array of products available that people may have in their homes for legitimate reasons that pets can be exposed to, and, and some of them are actually edible and intended to be edible, uh, that may be attractive to dogs, particularly, rarely cats. We do occasionally have a malicious poisoning with marijuana, but it's almost always inadvertent. And what does marijuana and THC do to the animals? Well, you know, uh, marijuana has a lot of different effects on people and in and dogs. And unfortunately, nearly all of the information we have on marijuana dogs relates to toxicity. There's, there's virtually nothing available to guide us on any medical use of marijuana in dogs, and it's strongly discouraged uh, because there just isn't any information to guide us. But in terms of toxicity, the most common things that you might see in a dog that's affected by marijuana is a loss of coordination, of course, depression, um, sometimes a slow heart rate, sometimes a fast heart rate, um, uh, excess salivation. Um, one of the most more typical and unusual symptoms is urinary incontinence um, and a really increasingly confused dog. Uh, with some of the newer products that have been designed into marijuana uh, and in, in some of the concentrated products like marijuana butter or, or maybe um, hashish or hashish oil, um, then you might see much more extreme symptoms that could in, even include seizures or more severe neurologic effects, even coma. Rarely death. It's not likely to cause death, but with some of these more concentrated products, that risk is increasing. Yeah, and is there treatment that's required, or you just sort of let it run its course? Well, there's not really any specific treatment. It's an excellent question. Um, it's generally a supportive treatment where a pet's hospitalized and yeah. given fluid therapy and products to block the absorption because it's, it can take several days for this to completely be metabolized, and there is a process of marijuana being recirculated in the body um, that can be delayed by giving something like activated charcoal into the intestine to block reabsorption of it. Um, it's something that requires attention, but fortunately most pets recover. Robert, do you predict there is going to be a therapeutic use for THC in dogs or other animals, say for pain or anxiety? 
Well, certainly not anytime soon. Veterinarians are not allowed to prescribe marijuana, and because of that, they're not really likely to recommend it. And and also, there's not really any research being done on it. And without any any uh, information to guide us on dosage or safety, it's really unlikely that we're going to be recommending marijuana use in, in dogs and cats anytime soon. And until the DEA relaxes the restrictions against veterinarians, it's, you know, it's virtually impossible for us to even suggest that. Yeah. And so let's move on to hemp as a health aid. There are at least two companies selling this. What is it and what are the alleged benefits? Well, the alleged benefits are the same ones that are uh, alleged with marijuana yeah. in dogs. And it's largely uh, pain relief, anxiety relief. Um, but it, again, those products, even though they're judged to be safer, I don't know that there's enough testing that really demonstrates that. But perhaps more importantly, I don't think there's enough research to demonstrate their effectiveness to justify using them at this point. Yeah, who knows what, what what the future may hold. But at this point, I'm not sure we have enough information to guide us on that. Are your clients asking you about it or, or buying it somehow? Occasionally, you know, it, that's a product that um, I don't believe requires any prescription. And certainly, we wouldn't be able to provide a prescription in any case. Right. Um, so it's, it's not something that they would need to ask me about. I do get asked occasionally about marijuana use for chronic pain in dogs. Um, and it's not something that we are at this point pursuing, unfortunately. Dr. Robert Reed, thank you so much. You're welcome. Peter, did you know that October was Adopt a Shelter Dog Month? No, I didn't know that. Yeah. Good idea, though. It's a great idea. And, of course, here on Animals Today, we always encourage and promote adopting and saving a life from a shelter, whether it's a dog or cat or any other animal, versus buying from a breeder. I mean, we we euthanize thousands, millions, millions. Still millions. Of do- still dogs and cats every year in our country's shelters. Why would you ever want to buy from a breeder when there's any kind, shape, size, color dog you would want in a shelter? Why would you ever buy from a breeder? Is there any justification, Peter? None at all. None at all. Less than none. And uh, it turns out that the shelter pet was just designated as the official California state pet. Very good. Very apropos and very timely. That's right. So we're very excited about that. And, uh, you know, some other states have state dogs, but not every state has a state dog. And in Alaska, the Alaskan Malamute, that's the official state dog. Uh, Massachusetts has a state dog. Do you know what that is? Boston Terrier. Boston Terrier. Very, very good. In uh, uh, Pennsylvania has the Great Dane. I don't know why. That okay. is the state dog of Pennsylvania. Okay. Uh, in Virginia, the American Foxhound. And in Wisconsin, the American Water Spaniel. Those are some state dogs, but most states do not have a state dog yet. So here is a, maybe an opportunity. Well, I like California having the shelter dog as its state dog. I think that's the best. We do have a California state animal, the grizzly bear is a California state animal. Why the grizzly bear? Do we still have grizzly bears in in California? No, we haven't had one live grizzly bear since 1922 when the last one was shot. Then about 30, more than 30 years later, the state decided that should be our official animal. I know it's on our flag. It's on our flag, but we have a dead animal as our official animal. Not, Not so good. California does have a state flower. The golden poppy is our flower. So okay. That, we got that. I guess that's nice. And we have a uh, state soil. A state soil. Soil, dirt. The San Joaquin soil filled with all those beautiful spores to infect your lungs. Okay. That's our soil. Do other states have they official can only soils? wish. They could only wish they okay. had a state soil. Okay. Thanks, Peter. Yeah. So thanks for tuning in. This is Dr. Lori Kirshner encouraging you to nurture your love and compassion for the only other beings sharing our planet, the animals. Animals Today Radio is made possible in part by a generous grant from International Society for Animal Rights, isaronline.org.